Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TMAP. If they're coming from the dealer If the drinks are truly free And the odds are in my favor Someone gotta go, go, go Get the money, yeah, cut it up, cut it up It's Friday night And in my experience Yeah, the timing's right Yeah, let's cut it up, cut it up And welcome back to 444.com It's the most accurate podcast My name is Anthony Stalter Alongside me as always is John Paulson JP, how we doing today? Not bad, how you doing? Good, very good. Let's we've got a lot to cover today on, on today's podcast. We're going to be doing a lot of camp battles. You'll hear a lot of me kind of reading some reports that John pulled together so you have an idea of what's going on right now in camps in some of the more intriguing fantasy football camp battles. So we'll do a lot of reading today, and John will give some thoughts on that those exact camp battles that we're doing. So that's kind of what we're covering today. First, though, John, tell us about the music that brought us in. Yeah, this is uh, Mondo Cosmo, and the song is Upside Down. It's the second track off his new album, New Medicine. It's a good album, uh, so I I recommend it. Uh, His album from 2017, Plastic Soul, was probably my favorite album from that year. Uh, So if you like the sound of this song, be sure to go back to Plastic Soul and listen to that um, as you get into his uh, work. I guess... uh, the Mondo Cosmos name of the band. Uh, it's just it's such, a, it's such a funny name that I, I apply it to the guy. It's kind of a one man operation, but he's got a ba- he's got a band, and I've seen him on uh, YouTube. I saw him live. Uh, excellent show. Um, so I'll add this uh, the song upside down to the uh, Most Accurate Podcast playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. All right, very good. Hey, it's really exciting news about the giveaway. We've extended our big FFPC main main event giveaway through the end of the end of the month, and John has offered to co draft with the winner. So. Really cool value, really cool experience. So that's right. If you if you enter and win the FFPC main event entry, John will be your co-pilot during the draft. You will have an expert there drafting with you. If you have questions, great. If you need opinion from John, great. He's got you covered. We're also giving away eight autographed jerseys that we've mentioned before on previous podcasts and 25 extremely comfortable 4 for 4 t-shirts. For more details, all, all you have to do is go to bit.ly, so bit.ly backslash 4 for 4 give, and it's all lowercase, by the way. So that's bit.ly, bit, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash 4 for 4 give. As a bonus, you can get 10% off any 4 for 4 subscription code just by using John. Ten and John uh, fill me in. Is that all caps on your name? J O H N. Yeah, 10? The, the code the code's all ta- all caps. And I would just um, add that you don't have to accept my co-piloting on this on this draft. If you don't want me to to draft with you, I'm perfectly happy to just bow out uh, the, if the winner would like to draft alone. So I just that's just an offer. It's not you don't have to do it. Let me recommend taking John's <laughs> advice here. All right. 
And John, I've seen it before, will cry if you don't <laughs> use him. He'll it hurt feelings. He's very hey, sensitive. No. <laughs> no offense taken. No, just kidding. Uh, but it is a really cool giveaway and a, a really nice add on there. And as John noted, if you don't want it, you want to do it your own, fine, no problem. But John's going to be there if you do win. All right, that first camp battle that we're going to discuss today, it's going to be Nick Foles, who was acquired from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the incumbent starter, Mitchell Trubisky, who has not played well. And we've got a couple of quotes to indicate where we're kind of at with this Chicago Bears quarterback camp battle. The first one's from ESPN's Jeff Dickerson. He says that Matt Nagy, who's the head coach of the Bears, said that he needs more time to determine whether Trubisky became a better player in the offseason after that, after the 2017 second overall pick, finished 2019 ranked near the bottom of the league in most statistical categories. Nagy says that we don't have enough enough right now. He said that during a Zoom call with Chicago media on Tuesday, he says, I wish I could tell you we had enough, but there's just not enough with where we're at. We need to see more. I can't give you a fair statement or opinion with that. NBC Chicago's J.J. Stankovitz said that Mitchell Trubisky will start week one in Detroit, but he'll have a very, 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 that's three varies for those counting at home, short leash. (laughs) Here's why. It's going to be hard for either Trubisky or Foles to truly, quote-unquote, win the Bears quarterback competition over the next few weeks. Not necessarily, John, a ringing endorsement for Mitchell Trubisky coming from Nagy. And as NBC Chicago's J.J. Stankvitz noted, even if Trubisky starts week one, he's going to have an incredibly short leash. I think we're uh, at a point with the fantasy community that everybody's expecting Foles to win this job eventually. And it may not be week one due to the, the unusual nature of this offseason. Uh, but as he, as he mentions there, uh, Stankovic's uh, three varies. Um, that does sound like Trubisky can't really afford to have a bad game or even a bad quarter or two uh, without getting yanked uh, for fools. All right, let's move on to the running back competition between the rookie Clyde Edwards-Alaire and whoever emerges as Casey's RB2. According to The Athletic's Nate Taylor, Clyde has done a great job in the reps that he has gotten. Patrick Mahomes said that on Sunday. Again, that was from at The Athletic's Nate Taylor's reporting. He's playing fast, and he has incredible vision. That's what's been the biggest thing so far. As for the RB2 job, according to Adam Teicher, with Edwards Alaire sidelined due to dehydration, Darrell Williams was the first team featured back, and then Nate Taylor also reported back on August 4th that DeAndre Washington, who's a fifth-round veteran who was a teammate of Patrick Mahomes while at Texas Tech, he could split snaps with Edwards Alaire during the first month of the season. So what's your takeaways here, John? Yeah, so this really isn't a camp battle between Hilaire, uh, Edwards Hilaire and whoever else is going to back him up. This is We're trying to figure out what bell, what level of bell cow lead back role he's going to have. And if he has 18 touches in this offense, he's going to likely finish as a uh, top five fantasy running back. So I think fantasy owners right now are trying to decide, do I want to take uh, – uh, this rookie, this unproven rookie in the middle of the first round, uh, and it's everything is sounding really good. I mean, Mahomes said that he's he's doing really well, his vision's great, blah blah blah. Uh, so the question is, uh, is Andy Reid is going to treat him like he did Kareem Hunt, or is he going to treat him uh, like he did Lashawn McCoy when uh, he had Brian Westbrook on the roster uh, and gave some carries to to Westbrook, or when Westbrook was in his second year, he split time. Uh, with Deuce Staley uh, and uh, Coral Buckhalter, I think. So um, 
that's the question. Uh, Hunt had the backfield to himself, and he was the RB4 that year. So if that's the case with Edwards Hilaire and he's getting 18 to 20 touches, he's absolutely worth that first-round pick, and he's a big risk-reward play there if they decide that they're going to um, – it's, it's a risky play if, if he – if they decide that he's going to split time and have somebody like Darrell Williams or DeAndre Washington uh, work in with eight to 12 touches uh, in, in a true committee. And so the the RB2 there also holds value because if, if Edwards Hilaire goes down uh, or misses some time with an injury, then who's going to get that coveted job? And, you know, Taylor mentioned on August 4th that it was might be Washington, um, but the first guy in with Edward Tiller out with the hydration was was Williams. So this is something to pay attention to as you get into your you know final rounds of your draft. You want to pick up one of these guys. Uh, and it might just be the fact that Washington just joined the team and uh, Williams is the veteran that knows the system. Uh, but we'd like to see some reports. I mean, Washington's going earlier and earlier. So we'd like to see some reports that he's actually running ahead or getting the same kind of snaps that Williams is getting uh, before we use that 12th, 13th round pick on him. Let's transition to the camp battle between Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack in Indianapolis. The athletic Zach Kiefer notes that Taylor, the running back out of Wisconsin, who was drafted seven spots after uh, Michael Pittman in, in April, split carries with starter Marlon Mack and ripped off a few highlight reel carries up the middle. It's early, but the fact that the coaches feel confident enough to throw Michael Pittman and Taylor in with the first-team offense at this stage of camp means they'll believe, they believe they can contribute immediately during the regular season. Taylor is expected to share carries with starter Marlon Mack, but don't be surprised if the rookie has a few breakout games and Frank Reich, the head coach of the Colts, stays with him. You had mentioned last week, John, that you've been a Marlon Mack truther up until the Colts selected Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I think Mack's a good player, but Taylor is another level, and they um, they went and got him in this draft, and it, he's he's got four three something speed, uh, fantastic runner, and it's a good offensive line. So this is a great situation for him. I think the question is how quickly is he going to take over and end up in a lead back Bill Cal role, and they keep saying that Mack is the starter. And if Mack is the starter, then he's going to be guaranteed. I mean, I guess guarantee is a strong word, but he's probably going to see at least 10 carries or eight, eight to 10 carries, and that's going to eat into Taylor's time. And, he's, and Mack will have the first chance to, to get hot and stay in the game. So that's a little troubling if you're drafting Taylor in the third or fourth round, which is kind of where he's going. Um, you know, if he's in that fourth or fifth round range and you can get him as your third running back and you don't have to start him necessarily right away, uh, I'd be a little bit more comfortable with that. But, um, you know, it's a good sign that he's uh, splitting first-team reps right now because that means he will probably play very early in the season, just a matter of how much. Let's move on to San Francisco. Raheem Mostert versus Tevin Coleman versus Jarek McKinnon. Athletics Matt, Burrow, Matt Barrows from The Athletics says that, so my guess is that the arrangement will be the same as last season. Coleman starts with Turner then using his feel for who's hot that day, dictating the snap loads for the rest of the game. The wild card, of course, is McKinnon. It's possible that he becomes the preferred tailback on third downs. There also could be instances in which he and another tailback are in the formation with McKinnon lining up in the slot or even out wide. The Mercury News' Cam Inman noted the backfield rotation went as follows. Raheem Mozart, Tevin Coleman, McKinnon, Jeff Wilson, and then... Jamichael Hasty. So interesting, especially from from Barrows there, uh, John. That that he's he he noted that Coleman would likely start with Turner, then using his feel for who's hot at that day. Yeah, I mean Coleman continued to start. 
uh, down the stretch last year, even though Mostert was out playing him and out snapping him. Uh, Mostert would come in, get hot because he was just running better and end up seeing, you know, 10 plus carries in X number of straight games. I mean, it was just a, he had a huge game against the Packers and the playoffs and was fantastic. I thought it was interesting that in, in practice, the rotation is Mostert, Coleman, McKinnon, uh, in that order where Mostert is getting those initial snaps, initial uh, reps in, in practice. So I don't know if that is a, a signifying of a sea change in this backfield where now you're going to have Mostert out there for the first play of the game. I mean, it is important that you're, you know, getting the first chance to, to get hot as it is with, uh, with Mac. I mean, if Coleman is fully healthy and uh, running like he did maybe earlier in his career and he's the starter, uh, he's going to have the you know first chance to break off a couple runs and then earn more playing time uh, later in the uh, game. So Mostert is going like fifth, sixth round, and I'm not getting a lot of him right now. Um, I, I would only draft him in a if I was in a position where I needed my second running back if I didn't get two in the first three, three or four rounds, and I needed a, another guy there in the fifth or sixth, and Ingram's off the board, um, then I might turn to Mostert and hope that uh, he can deliver. It's just. You, he's fine in best ball because he's going to have some big games. It just it might be a frustrating situation uh, with, you know, week-to-week touches trying to um, predict this backfield. McKinnon was the guy that uh, Kyle Shanahan initially brought in to be his lead back when he uh, joined the 49ers, and he just has not been able to stay healthy over the last couple of years, but I guess he's uh, looking healthy in camp now. Let's talk about Tampa Bay. Ronald Jones versus everyone. That's the camp battle in Tampa. So Greg Allman of The Athletic notes that Rojo's the main guy, Arian said on a Zoom call on Wednesday. Asked about the competition among his running backs. He says he'll carry the load, he being Ronald Jones. All those other guys are fighting for roles. Who goes in second when he gets tired? Maybe a third down guy, but they're all fighting for a role. John Ledyard of the Pewter Report notes that Arian's remarks that Ronald Jones has done a great job in pass protection so far in camp. He's raved about Rojo consistently, and if the third-year back can show out in pass pro better than the rest of the backs, he'll be the all-around feature back in 2020. Things are looking really good for Ronald Jones. Yeah, he certainly trended it up this offseason. I started this whole process thinking um, that Keyshawn uh, Vaughn would, would come in and win this job and that the reason they drafted him was because they were down on Jones. And I think the work that Jones has put in this offseason, uh, there have been several hype, piece, hype pieces that have quoted his trainer and talking about all the work they're doing, not only as just physically, um, but working on pass protection and that is, was the big question with Jones last year. He got benched in the middle of the season because he blew a block. Uh, now you have Tom Brady back there. Uh, you, you can't have somebody blowing pass blocks with Brady back there because he can't really dodge the rush. And if you're gonna, if, if Brady goes down, then this whole season's over. So the, the question here is, will Jones be able to keep his pass pro buttoned up uh, for the entire season and hold on to this job? If he's actually, if he actually turns into a trusted pass pro guy, then he could end up being a, a three-down back. But I think they brought in uh, LaShawn McCoy. Uh, he's excellent in pass protection. Uh, they brought him in so that they're covered on third downs if Jones is not doing uh, his job on uh, in pass pro uh, because Vaughn was, you know, was on the COVID list and just is a rookie and is behind in this whole weird offseason that we're having. Just isn't getting the reps, so they probably didn't uh, feel like they could trust Vaughn uh, in pass pro even though he was pretty good in that role in uh, in college. So um, 
Jones is creeping up his ADP. I've seen him go in the his ADP. I think is in the fifth or sixth round, but he, you know he's been going earlier and earlier, and maybe into, dipping into the fourth round a little bit. I think that's price is a little steep with some of the other backs that are there. Um, but you know, fifth round, you need a second running back. Jones has uh, got a lot of upside, and, and it looks like Arians is is on board right now. Let's talk about the Rams camp battle. It's Cam Akers versus the rest of the Rams running backs. From the Athletics, Jordan Rodriguez, the running back order went as such. Malcolm Brown, Henderson, and rookie Cam Akers, though Akers got a lot of reps with first first and second teams on Tuesday, she wrote. It's clear coaches are trying to get him up to speed quickly. From a Lindsay 30 story on ESPN, McVay noted there's not anything he can't do. McVay said about Akers, that's why we liked him so much. He can really run any scheme. He can take a handoff from the offset gun. Or if he's in the dot, McVay noted, that's what you just talked. That's what you just liked about him was the body of work and the versatility, the ability to create plays on his own. Do you like Cam Akers to replace Todd Gurley in L.A.? Uh, yeah, I mean, Akers seems like he's the guy, but they're easing him in, and this, the, the, there's weird rotations in, in practice right now in terms of the pecking order. They're not just handing him the job, uh, which is fairly normal for uh, rookie running backs. Uh, I think the writing's on the wall here. These articles that I that pulled up, they didn't really say anything. McVay didn't really say anything positive about Henderson or Brown, and it's not like he doesn't like him necessarily, but you know, the, the story's focus was on Acres, and McVeigh's basically gushing about him and, and what he can do. So I think the, you know, maybe Acres doesn't get the 15 or 20 touches that we want in, in week one, but, you know, he should be trending up as he gets more uh, experience in this offense. Let's move on to Detroit. DeAndre Swift versus Carrion Johnson. The Athletics' Nick Bumgarner writes that neither Carrion Johnson nor Bo Scarborough did much Tuesday by, by way of 11-on-11 work leaving most of the action with the first-team offense to Swift and Ty Johnson. Swift made the most of his reps Tuesday, to be sure. Lions beat writer Tim Twiniman also noted that Swift's looked very crisp as a receiver early on, and he excelled in one-on-one passing drills against defenders on Tuesday. His combination of quickness, speed, and suddenness has proven to be a tough combination for defenders to lock onto early in camp. And then one other report, this one's from SI's Logan Lamarander. He says that Carrion Johnson was spotted in a knee knee brace at camp. He was still rocking a knee brace, but didn't seem limited in his starting role. Meanwhile, 2020 second round pick DeAndre Swift appeared to be squarely behind Johnson in the pecking order with the Lions stables of ba- stable of backs. It's likely to be a committee by approach, John. Yeah, and Johnson, the, the, I think the wild card here is this knee and this knee brace that he's got. Uh, when this when they when they picked Swift, I just felt like this was the beginning of the end for Kerryon Johnson. He was you know pretty good as a rookie and so so last year. And can he stay healthy? I think you, if you pick Swift, you need to understand that in the first few games of the season, you may not be getting the kind of touches and production that you that you want out of a, maybe a fifth round pick. Um, but long term, he should be the guy in this offense. I don't know that they're ever going to get to a bell cow role for any of these guys, you know, with Matt Patricia coming from the new England system where they have a group of guys that can all do different things and are all pretty versatile and uh, they mix and match based on what they're trying to do in a specific game. So that might be the same sort of situation here with, with the, the, the Detroit uh, running backs. And I've, you know, I, I'm not getting as much swift as I, as I was getting 
uh, earlier in the best ball season because of this of this pecking order that's going on here. They're not, they're not handing the job to him either. Uh, and there was a couple of quotes about how his um, how Swift's learning curve was going to be steep, and uh, he's got a lot to learn. So that just tells me that the early early season role may not be there for him. Washington running back job. NBC's J.P. Finley notes that with Adrian Peterson out. Bryce Love gets first work with first-team offense. His role as second back seems quite real. Finley also noted, to my eyes, Antonio Gibson just made his first flash play of camp. Speed on that edge, hard to know without real tackling, but in red zone drills, Scott Turner just called three straight plays for Gibson. What's your thoughts on Antonio Gibson? Yeah, I mean, Gibson was one of our biggest uh, draft day values for a long time because I had him ranked significantly higher than his 13th round 12th round ADP that he was seeing earlier in the spring uh, with the Darius Geis uh, being cut. Um, Gibson stock has risen and he's now going in the sixth or seventh round. That's pretty expensive for who a player that's probably going to be a part-time player um, in this offense with, with Adrian Peterson getting the starts early in the season and Bryce Love, you know, finally back from injury, uh, had a really good uh, was a junior season and then the senior season he wasn't I don't know if it was a sophomore and junior or junior and senior but Love should have left a year early is what I'm trying to get at and would have been one of the top running backs in his class uh, but he's finally back from injury I know there's a lot of uh, draft draft Knicks that like him and like his game uh, so you're probably going to see Peterson uh, Love working on first and second downs Gibson maybe in on some of those downs as well as a kind of a gadget guy um, and I don't know how many carries he's actually going to get with, with Peterson and Love being the primary ball carries. One thing that's interesting is that they signed Pey- Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick, and it doesn't seem like they're going to be uh, that involved when Peterson and Love are both healthy. All right, Mark Ingram versus J.K. Dobbins in Baltimore. The Athletics, Jeff Zebrick, and I apologize if I'm hacking up any of these names. It's either Zrebeck or Zrybeck, so again, I apologize. Um, he said he said yesterday that Dobbins' biggest impact will be on Gus Edwards' touches. Ingram is the guy. I don't think there's any question with that. Offensive coordinator Greg Roman said on August 12th that there's more, the more the merrier. We'll be able to utilize all those guys as we move forward. Mark Ingram, in my opinion, is one of the best running backs in the league over time. So not necessarily great, great to hear that if you're a fantasy over John, you're trying to figure out what what to do with the Baltimore Ravens backfield that the offense quarter says yeah the more the merrier <laughs> yeah but then he went on to say that uh Mark Ingram is one of the best running backs in the league over time so I think the to me and I'm a you know an Ingram fan at his ADP he's going in the fifth or sixth round and I think that's a steal uh I talked about it with Andy Barons on the last pod that it's maybe a gift to you know zero RB fans or or modified uh zero RB people that want to draft tight ends or receivers in the early rounds and then turn the and then you know in the middle rounds you turn over to the running back position you could also grab a running back in the first or second round and then hit the other positions then come back and get Ingram in the fifth round he was a top 10 running back last year and I don't think they're just going to put him out to pasture given everything he did it's uh for the for the Ravens last year and I don't see his uh fancy points really um shrinking uh as much as what the uh, the ADP here says for for him versus Dobbins. I mean, I've seen Dobbins actually go ahead of him in drafts, and I, I don't see that uh, job changing hands this year without uh, some sort of an injury to Ingram. 
All right, let's move forward here. We'll talk about the Philadelphia Eagles backfield. Miles Sanders versus Boston Scott. John Clark of NBC Sports notes that Doug Peterson says they have told Miles Sanders, quote, you're the guy this season. Doug says they want to increase Miles' reps. Sanders is now week to week with a lower body injury, but will be ready to play week one. That, that according to ESPN's Tim McManus. So pretty clear role here for Miles Sanders. He's going to be the guy, and uh, provided he's healthy. Yeah, and the lower leg injury might uh, cause his ADP to sink into the second round. He's he's been going like the eighth running back off the board in recent drafts, and that that's price is a little expensive for me. Uh, he he averaged eighteen point seven touches, ninety eight total yards, seventeen point two fantasy points per game in his final seven games. He saw seventeen touches in the the playoff loss to Seattle, so that he was the lead back. I just think that Boston Scott will be involved more than maybe what Sanders owners would would like. Um, he had a uh, nine to sixteen touch roll uh, as the backup to Sanders, not counting the Week Seventeen game where he uh, saw like twenty three touches in that game after Sanders left with an uh, ankle injury. So even even with a healthy Sanders, uh, Scott was seeing you know nine to sixteen touches uh, over a stretch. So um, I don't think they're going to turn all this this whole entire backfield over Sanders, and I'm not sure that he could handle that. 20 to 25 touches per game, but I think they're going to target the 17 to 20 touches for him, and that makes him a, you know, first, second round running back. All right, we'll continue our look at some camp battles, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, if you're tired of taking a straight razor to your bean bag and having it look like a scene out of a horror show, listen up, Manscaped has you covered. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They just redesigned their electric trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 3.0, and the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months on this bad boy. They've perfected it, trust me. I've used it. Nice, close, comfortable shave. The thing even has an LED light. It illuminates the grooming area so you can see what you're doing. We've all been there before. We're trying to clean things up a little bit, and it winds up being a bit of a disaster because, again, you're dealing with a straight razor to the old Huevos Rancheros. You know what I mean? So stop with the dangerous weapons on your family jewels and try Manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at Manscaped.com. Again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code TMAP. Check out the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. All right, John, let's dive back into some of these camp battles. Justin Jackson versus Joshua Kelly as the Chargers RB2. This is from the Athletics' Daniel Popper. He believes that Jackson's leash as the RB2 won't be long, though he is likely to start the season as the primary backup to Austin Eckler. In August 18th, in an, in an August, August 18th scrimmage, Jackson played ahead of Kelly, who didn't play until Justin Herbert and the second team entered the game. Popper also described Kelly as a, quote, mean runner. He was seeking out contact all morning, and defenders were flying off of him. He is going to be the bruiser in the Chargers' three-headed running back group behind Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. He also flashed some serious speed, shedding a defender and breaking a 20-yard gain to the outside during 11-on-11 work. Yeah, and Justin Jackson ran well last year. I think he had like over... Uh, over six yards per carry. Yeah, he had six point nine yards per carry last year on twenty nine carries for the for his career. He's at a five point one. So teams don't usually send that sort of production to the bench without a fight. Um, but he is you know under two hundred pounds, and they drafted Kelly to be the bruiser, the big guy, the thunder to Austin Eckler's lightning. Uh, the question is how quickly will 
uh, Jackson or will uh, Kelly be able to beat Jackson out for this job or do they just, is there actually a three man uh, rotation here? I think Eckler is a safe play due to his receiving ability in the second round, especially in PPR formats. And I've been drafting a lot of Kelly in like the 13th, 14th round. Uh, I don't have any Jackson and maybe I need to pick up some if he's still ahead of Kelly at this point. But I mean, it's not a big surprise. This is, we've been seeing this with this entire offseason, and we, even within this podcast, we're talking about these rookies that are not being handed uh, the starting job in any of these uh, camp battles. They're, they're they're having to go out there and prove that they're better than the uh, the vets that are there. All right, the New England RB1 is James White, probably. But what about the primary first and second down back? Paul Perello of Patriots.com notes that Burkhead continues to look quick with his cuts and showed a nice burst when breaking into the secondary once again. Harris also ran with conviction and looks comfortable as he starts his his second season in New England. John, as we know, Sony Michelle and Lamar Miller both are on the pup as, at this point. What do you what do you think of the New England backfield? Yeah, this is not a situation that I'm targeting. I might take White in the seventh round PPR is maybe my third running back or if I'm you know as my second running back if I'm uh going wide receiver heavy uh I think he should be fairly safe uh give you that 10 to 15 points per per week that you're looking for out of these you know middle round running backs uh I did pick up Sony Michelle in a in an industry draft in the 18th round um basically the entire People, everybody I was drafting against has, has completely written him off for this season. And, you know, I'm looking at him, he's not practicing right now. It doesn't mean he's not going to be ready for week one or, you know, he may just need extra time to get to get healthy. And if he is, the, if he is healthy and active, I think he is the first and second down guy in this offense. They, they obviously signed Miller as depth. He's not healthy either, apparently. Um, so he's not really a concern. Um, so getting back to it, Burkhead, you know, final round pick, maybe, you know, Harris, maybe a couple rounds earlier cause he's younger and might go a little bit earlier and maybe has more upside, but, um, you don't want to spend any significant draft capital on any of these guys other than maybe James White. Let's talk about wide receiver camp battles. Now, Deontay Johnson versus James, James Washington. Do you want Johnson in the seventh round or Washington later on in the draft? It appears that Johnson, yeah, I'm getting yeah, to the, go ahead, John. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting um, I'm getting pretty comfortable with Johnson maybe in the seventh round. Uh, you know, after talking with Matt Harmon, just loved his route running. Uh, you, you find out that he had a core injury, muscle injury, uh, and he played through that last year, which sort of explains some of the statistical anomalies between Washington and Johnson. I think Washington outgained Johnson in nine and fifteen games last year. So coming into the the offseason, I was thinking that Washington was the better value given his ADP, uh, but they seem to love Johnson. Uh, and if he was playing injured, maybe that explains some of the, the statistical weirdness there. Um, so given the fact that he fared very well in, in Matt Harmon's route running uh, charting and uh, his relatively fair ADP in the seventh round, I think he's got some significant upside and it's it's it'll be interesting to see at the end of the year, does he start to push Juju Smith-Schuster as the number one receiver in this offense, if he's that good. Um, and Smith-Schuster, I wouldn't say struggles, struggle without Antonio Brown, but you know, the production wasn't there uh, last year. And some of that had to do with the quarter, a lot of that had to do with the quarterback. Uh, this is going to be an interesting offense. I think you're going to see Smith-Schuster, Johnson and Washington on the field a lot together. 
Uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see how these uh, targets get sorted out. And I was just going to mention that it appears that Johnson is comfortably ahead of Washington for the wide receiver two job, but Washington should play a lot in three wide receiver sets. Moving on to the Kansas City, the wide receiver two and wide receiver three situation, McCall Hardman versus Demarcus Robinson and Sammy Watkins, according to the Athletics' Nate Taylor. Receiver McCall Hardman, the second fastest player on the team, is expected to be the Chiefs' primary kickoff and punt returner. The player who took the second kickoff repetitions was Edwards Allaire, who is capable of eluding several defenders in the open field. Yeah, the, the reason this is interesting um, camp battle is Hardman and his ADP, which is fairly high given a guy who didn't have a consistent role last season, but I think they're expecting more out of him and fantasy owners. He could quickly go from wide receiver four to wide receiver two. And in this offense, that would be uh, a big jump in terms of his overall fantasy value. Sammy Watkins is, has been productive. They kept him around and he's likely to start alongside Tyree kill. Uh, if Hardman is the, is the three, then he's going to be on the field quite a bit, uh, and the question is, is he ahead of Robinson? They brought Robinson back on a very cheap deal as well. He was productive in, in uh, when he had uh, some opportunity with Tyree Kill out last year, and same, same with Hardman. The question is, is Hardman going to be a uh, solid fantasy start in week one? And I'm, the answer is no. We have to see some some usage uh, history from him and see where how he's being used. Uh, the thing that throws me off a little bit is that they're going to it sounds like they're going to keep him out on kickoffs and punt returns you don't usually do that with a a player that you're going to have uh start the game so is he just going to get a rest after that and then start rotating in as the wide receiver three or you know is he going to play 70 80 percent of the snaps if that's the case then his adp is absolutely justified but if he's going to be a 30 40 percent player again this year then uh people are overspending for all right some carolina news now curtis samuel versus robbie anderson the athletics joe person notes that curtis samuel is shining in one-on-ones the ap steve reed also noted that samuel looked good made some nice catches out there espn's david newton notes that you could see samuel spell christian mccaffrey at running back at some point this season or line up in the Wildcat behind center. I'm not going to really get into details and, you know, spoil it and give people a heads up on what's to come. Samuel said on Thursday, not to talk too much about myself, but with my skill set, the ability to do so much outside and inside and, you know, play running back, a lot of experiences playing different places in my career that definitely gives me the flexibility to do more. We're practicing real hard and looking forward to what's to come. It sounds like the Panthers have uh, a lot of game plans centered for uh, Curtis Samuel, at least involving him in a, in a variety of ways, John. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really targeting him heavily at his ADP, which is like 12th, 13th round. He's, he's He's slipping because I think that's those are the rounds where people are picking up their tight ends and their quarterbacks. Those are those owners that are waiting on those positions, and Samuel is you know there with you know Anthony Miller and those and those guys. Those, those other good targets there at, at that point in the draft. So it's a deep position, um, and he's kind of a uh, post type sleeper now. Uh, he kind of disappointed last year, uh, but again talking to Matt Harmon, if you want to listen to the wide receiver podcast we did. Uh, it wasn't really his fault. I mean, five of his 27 deep ball targets were deemed catchable uh, per PFF, and he caught all five. Uh, the That is a really low rate for having catchable targets. I mean, it's just bad quarterback play 
last year. He was open all the time, and the quarterback, uh, Kyle Allen, was not hitting him uh, with passes. And if he had even had league average um, conversions on those, he would have another 200, 250 uh, receiving yards and you know push top for top 20 numbers. So people are down on him because they signed Robbie Anderson, but the, the OC, the new OC there from LSU, was it Brady? Um, alluded to a big role for him and he's alluding you know he's being coy about his role so it sounds like he might have kind of a slash type um role in this offense and so he could see some carries he could you know they're going to manufacture some touches for him and plus he's just a good receiver he's a good route runner a good receiver so i think he'll be on the field a lot and uh, maybe we'll have a bounce back season He's with, uh, with better quarterback play there with uh, Teddy Bridgewater. All right, staying in Carolina, but shifting over to tight end, Greg Olson versus Will Disley. NBC Sports Joe Fan notes that Greg Olson still looks smooth and spry to me. Disley is back at practice after a ruptured Achilles, but, John, it looks like Greg Olson's going to hold off Disley in the early going. Yeah, you said staying in Carolina because you're so used to Olson being oh, in Carolina. But this is, a, this Seattle. is a Seattle news item. <laughs> That's all right. Um this is the reason I mentioned that and corrected you there is that the Seattle tight end is always really productive and no matter who it is. Uh, Russell Wilson does like to throw to the, to the tight end, especially in the red zone. And uh, Disley has been hugely productive when he's been healthy. So this is a little bit of a battle. And, and if Greg Olson is healthy, um, I see him being the primary guy there, but they're probably going to run a lot of 12, uh, two tight end sets, and, and they're both going to be on the field. So it might be a frustrating situation week to week to know which, which one to start. So actually in best ball, to get around that, I've been uh, a couple of times I've drafted them both very late because they're all both very late, you know, available very late, just due to the uh, injury concerns and Olsen uh, just because of his age and also injury concerns. So um, you can actually get them both, and one of them should be healthy each week, hopefully, and you should get you know good production out of them without having to decide who to start. So I know they really like Disley, but Greg, Greg Olson is one of the best uh, receiving tight ends that we've you know, of, our, of our generation, and I think he's uh, going to be great in this hey, offense. Carolina on the brain coming off the Curtis Samuel note. Yep. Uh, all right, J- Carolina on my exactly. mind, right? Exactly, that's right. That, that was yep. a song, right? Uh, Jets wide receiver Brashad Perriman versus Denzel Mims. Eric Allen of NewYorkJets.com notes that Brashad Perriman might be just five practice practices into his Jets tenure, but he's playing as if he and Sam Darnold have been teammates for years. Only a couple of days after Perryman hauled in a 50-plus yard scoring toss from Darnold, he got free on a slant and then outraced cornerback Arthur uh, Mollett for a 70-yard touchdown. He's super explosive, a very explosive athlete who gets in and out of his cuts, Sam Darnold said of Perryman. Big dude as well. He's everything you want in a receiver, and we're just looking forward to having him this year. The Athletics' Connor Hughes also notes that Mims is already out with a hamstring injury. Typically, that's not a huge deal, but because COVID-19 prevented teams from holding organized team activities in minicamps, it's hard to imagine that Mims, whose return date is TBD at this point, being mentally ready early in the season. Are you buying into Brashad Perryman as maybe a sleeper for the Jets this year? Yeah, I think the Mims pick took a little bit of luster off of Perryman as a as a sleeper, but with his injury, I don't see him passing up Perryman in the first half of the season. And Perryman, it sounds like, is fitting in very well with, with Darnold. And he has shown that he is not a bust. He has had big games with Tampa. He had big games for a stretch with Cleveland and uh, signed, signed the deal with the Jets to replace Robbie Anderson. And I think he's a fantastic value where he's going very late in drafts. I I think uh, I tweeted it today that, uh, that, that Perryman is a, one of the primary targets there late in drafts. All right. Green Bay, John's favorite 
subject besides fantasy football. Yes. Uh, Green Bay tight end. The the camp battle is between the tight end one, Jay Sternberger versus Robert Tanyan. The Athletics' Matt Schneidman notes that don't sleep on Tanyan as the primary receiving tight end, even with Sternberger is healthy, even when Sternberger is healthy, as he's the only proven reliable pass catcher on the list. He just couldn't stay healthy during the second half of last year. Mike Spofford of Packers.com also says about Tanyan, it's, show, he, it's showing with the consistent plays and reliable hands on, dis, on display in the early stages of camp. Many thought this is where Tanyan's game was headed last October. And another reporter from Packers.com, Wes Hodkinwitz, noted that Lafleur mentions that it's kind of my biggest takeaway from my first few practices that Robert Tanyan has filled out his frame looks the part getting a lot of his getting a lot of first team work Jay Sternberger is back at practice after being on the COVID-19 list but it sounds like from these three reports John that Robert Tanyan is ahead of him yeah in most leagues this is probably not a relevant news item or a camp battle uh, but if, you know, if you're in best ball and you're trying to get a third run, uh, tight end and you've been targeting Sternberger, I would definitely get some shares of Tanya. And he, it's an interesting story. He started as a, he, he went to Indiana state, started as a quarterback, converted to a wide receiver and is now converted to a tight end. So it's taken some, him some time to learn the position and everything, but he's six, five, two thirty six. Uh, I went over to his player profiler, uh, profile, his athletic measurables are really good. Uh, 4.63 40-yard dash, that's 87th percentile. He's got a speed score of 75th percentile. Burst score of 82nd percentile, 68th percentile. Agility score, his catch radius is 78th percentile. So this is all uh, better than what we saw with Sternberger. And Sternberger gets the, was getting the nod in the offseason because you know the GM mentioned that he probably would be the, have a chance at the to take over for Jimmy Graham, but it looks like Tanyan... Uh, is pushing him and Sternberger started the offseason on the uh, COVID list there in August. So he just got off there. I saw that he had a drop the other day uh, from Tim Boyle. I think the only concern that for Packer fans is that the best comparable at pro player profiler for Tanyan was, is Brandon Bostic. And that brings back <laughs> some, some bad memories. Yeah. Speaking uh, of, for, speaking for of Packer Seattle. Fans. Yeah. But uh, Tanyan, the other interesting thing about Tanyan is that he's been, He's good friends with George Kittle, and they, they spent the offseason together working out in Nashville. Um, and obviously these are two extremely different players and different levels of their career, but um, you know, the fact that he's learning from one of the best in the game, you know, maybe he does. He did have some huge uh, – he had a big touchdown catch. I think it was his first touch uh, in the NFL. He had a big catch against the Cowboys along the sideline. I think, believe that's where he hurt his hip. And then uh, the hip injury caused him to miss some games and never really got back on track. So um, Tanyan is a deep sleeper, very deep sleeper at the tight end position. But if you're looking, you know, in your draft and you maybe you draft Blake, Blake Jarwin and John Smith like I am and hoping one of them breaks out, but you have 20 or 22 roster spots and you want to draft a third upside tight end, I think Tanyan is a, a good guy you can probably get in the last round of your All draft. right, that's John Paulson. I'm Anthony Stalter. Again, if I hacked up any of your names, if you're listening or a beat reporter, I do apologize. Uh, but that was a lot of information to get through, and John, great job gathering the reports. Speaking of John, don't forget, we've exp- extended our big FFPC main event giveaway through the end of the month. John has offered to co- co-draft with the winner. So if you win and you want John alongside you for your draft, that's great. He'll, he'll do so. So to enter and win the FFPC main event entry and have John co-pilot during the draft if you win. Make sure that you go to the bit.ly backslash 444 give link. 
It's all lowercase there. You see all, all the things that were given away at 444.com, including eight autographed jerseys and 25 very comfy 444 t-shirts. As a bonus, you can also get, don't forget, 10% off any 444 subscription with the code JOHN10, and that's all caps, J-O-H-N-10, JOHN10, for 10% off any 444 subscription. If you like John's work, and I'm sure that you do, and you want to give him a little bit of bump, get a little kickback for him, for all his hard work throughout the course of the year for you, fantastic. Make sure that you use that bonus code JOHN10. I'm Anthony Stalter for John Paulson. We'll see you next time on 444.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is